passion for God, and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Good, good morning. Uh, welcome to Crosswinds. I have to say it's an absolute privilege to be able to share God's with you, word with you this morning. And I am so excited for the text that we are going to be going through today uh, because it is basically the foundation of the Christian faith. If you've been with us for a while, we've been going through the book of First Peter, uh, and we've, we've made it a whopping nine verses into this book. We, we spent a couple weeks uh, looking at the first few verses, and this morning we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. If you were here with us last week, we looked at verses 3 through 9, and what we saw from these verses that, uh, that verses 3 through 9 are kind of a hymn that Peter wrote. It's a song of praise that Peter wrote telling us about all that God has done for us as Christians. And it's praising God because of all the things that he's done for us. And that, in that setting, in those few verses, he really paints a big picture of God and says, let's expand your understanding of who God is and make it big. And that's going to help you in the midst of the sufferings and the difficulties of your life. See, our culture has a tendency to paint a, a picture of God that is relatively small, relatively insignificant. Our culture seems to think that God is really just something that you can add on to your life as an accessory if you are weak and if you need it. But that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us the opposite, that God is big, that God is large, that God is in charge, and that he rules over the entire universe. And this understanding that God is big serves as an anchor for us in the midst of the storms of life. When life is rocking us and we're going through the hardest, most difficult times of our life, this truth that God is big, that God knows what's going on, that he is going to walk with us in the midst of that, is what's going to help us make it through these difficult times. This morning, as I said, we're going to be in verses 10 through 12 of chapter 1, and this really continues the hymn that Peter gives us. That's a continuation of the, the hymn, but Peter changes his approach in these verses. In the first section, he is talking about how big God is and praising God for all that he is and all that he has done for us. But now he changes his gears, and, and he focuses on the gift that God has given us. And he, he begins to praise God for all that he has done for us in this beautiful, glorious, wonderful gift that he has given us as Christians. And that gift is salvation. The gift is salvation. You see, a lot of times as Christians, we tend to think of salvation as something that kind of just gets us in the door. It's just something that makes us a Christian. And then after that, we have to live out of our own power and focus on things out of our own strength. But what Peter is doing here is he's focusing on the glorious good news of the gospel and saying this is how we go forward from here. This is how it affects our lives moving forward. In a way, what Peter is doing is he's telling us about our identity as Christians. In other words, he's telling us who we are as Christians and moving forward from that point. If you were with us a couple weeks ago, we looked at verses 1 and 2. And in those verses, Peter tells us that we are elect exiles. Uh, in other words, that we have been chosen by God, but also at the same time, we don't fit in 
in this world. And it's a part of our identity. And here in these verses, Peter takes that same truth, this truth of the gospel, and says, this is how it applies to our lives. And this is how it affects who we are as Christians. If you guys remember, back in the 1990s, there was this TV show called Boy Meets World. How many of you have seen Boy Meets World or watched it? Okay, I was a big, big Boy Meets World fan. I absolutely loved it. Uh, Late 90s, early 2000s. In fact, I have uh, every single episode on DVD. And I, uh, during seminary, it was these episodes that actually helped me make it through all of those difficult classes that I was going through. And as I was re-watching this series, uh, for the first time really since uh, I had seen it back in the early, er, early 2000s, late 1990s, I realized how bad that show really was, how bad the theology was in this show. In fact, that show is kind of like telling us everything that you shouldn't believe is found in Boy Meets World. We talked a couple of weeks ago about cultural Christianity or Christianity that, uh, that really isn't Christianity, not found in the Bible. And Boy Meets World, in a way, is kind of an example of what that cultural Christianity is. But there's this one episode in Boy Meets World where Corey, who is the main character, receives this gift from his father, Alan. He receives this gift from Alan, and uh, he's kind of weirded out by the gift. He doesn't really understand the significance of this gift that his dad gave him. To, To Corey, it is just a silver necklace with a pair of mittens on it. A silver necklace with a pair of mittens on it. He doesn't really get it, and he thinks it's kind of uh, a lame gift from his dad. And so in the middle of the, the episode, he loses the, the, the mittens, and he doesn't think it's that big of a deal. So he tells his dad, I'm sorry I lost the gift, but it's not that big of a deal because it was just a necklace with some silver mittens on it. Well, his dad tells him the significance of that gift. Apparently his father won that necklace, which was actually a medal, when he was the second best boxer in the entire U.S. Navy. This was a gift of extreme importance from Alan to his son, Corey. But Corey didn't understand the gift, and so he didn't understand the significance of it, and so he just treated it like it wasn't that important. In a way, in our lives, we have a tendency to do the same thing with the gospel. We have a tendency to assume the gospel, To not realize how important it is to us if we are Christians. Sometimes it just comes because we think that we are entitled to it. That we deserve the grace that God gives us. Sometimes we think that it just comes from an assumption of the gospel. That that we don't really talk about it. And so we just assume that we are a part of it. Sometimes it just comes from not understanding the biblical story. But whatever the case, that's what Peter is addressing here. He's saying, look... This gospel, this gift that God has given you is really good news. It is the most important gift in the entire universe. So cherish it. Focus on its worth. Hold fast to it and praise God because of it. In fact, Martin Luther, who is a theologian several centuries ago, once said that our hearts are so prone to forget the gospel, that we constantly need to remind ourselves of it each and every day. In other words, our hearts are so focused on things that are not the gospel that we have to continually tell ourselves the good news of this gospel so that way we can continue to worship God and continue to be a part of who we are. 
We have to continue to remind ourselves of the grace that God gives us on the cross. And what Peter is doing here is he's giving us a way for us to remind ourselves of the gospel. A way for us to remind ourselves of the good news of the gift that God has given us. If you were to sum up these three verses in one sentence, I think it would be this. That grace, the grace that God offers us through Jesus is the most important gift in the universe. The grace that God offers us in Jesus is the most important gift in the universe. You can have all of the money in the world, but if you don't have Jesus, then you have nothing. You can have the perfect family surrounding you, but if you don't have Jesus, then you have nothing. On the other hand, if you have nothing, if you literally have nothing in this world, but you have Jesus, then you have everything. And that's what this text, these verses are telling us. Peter wants us to understand the glorious good news of the gospel. And so that's what we're going to focus on this morning. We're going to talk about salvation and really what is salvation. And then we're going to switch gears and spend the rest of our time going through these verses and saying, why is this good news? Why is this so important and so valuable to us? So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about that. Uh, the, the passage is going to be pre- printed in your sermon notes, which uh, is also in your bulletin. It's also going to be printed behind me right here. If you don't have a Bible at all, I'd like you to just find me or another one of our leaders after the service, and we'd love to just get you a Bible, uh, give you a Bible, no, no charge or anything, just as a gift, as a way to get God's word into your hands. Uh, so we're going to be going through 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. So please, uh, please listen to these words from 1 Peter. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or the time that the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you. By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. If you know how Peter, or if you see how Peter starts here, he mentions this salvation. But what is this salvation? I think, like we mentioned, when we talk about salvation, it can kind of come across as just Christianese, or basically something that, that we talk about, but we don't really understand what is, it means. So let's focus on what this salvation means. First, we have to recognize that we need to be saved from something. We have to be saved from something. So it, let's say, for example, we live in northern Iraq right now. Let's say we live in northern Iraq and we are a Christian or we are minority Muslims. And we're suffering at the hands of the terrorist group ISIL right now. There is an intense need to be saved in that situation. And you can save yourself by fleeing your home, leaving everything that you have and going to a different place. It's a pretty drastic move, but it's the only way that you can save yourself. But if you didn't realize that you had to save yourself, if you didn't know anything about ISIL, 
You didn't know anything about all of the terrible things that are happening around you at this point. Then there would be no need. There would be no desire to leave because you don't understand what you need to be saved from. We have to recognize that we need to be saved from something. And Peter, throughout his book that we're looking at right now, tells us many different things that we need to be saved from. I just want to draw attention to two of those. The first thing that we need to be saved from is this. We need to be saved from the disease of sin. We need to be saved from the disease of sin. Listen to these words from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. Here in this verse, notice what Peter is referring to when he talks about sin. He's referring to it as a disease. It's a terrible disease that lives within us. It's something that kills us. And if we don't cure it, if we don't fix it, if we don't take care of it, then it's going to kill us for eternity. When Peter is referring to sin, he's not just referring to the things that we do that are bad in this world. He's not just referring to our actions that aren't a part of what God wants us to do. He's referring to our heart. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, the power of this air. We are dead in our sins And because of that, we are uh, infected with this disease. If you have been following the news uh, coming from West Africa from the last several weeks or or months even, you you probably know about the Ebola crisis that is happening there and how uh, Ebola is really uh, making a, a big a big issue in, in these countries in West Africa. Now, Ebola is a terrifying disease. It's one of those things where it will uh, give you flu-like symptoms, but there is bleeding uh, internally and externally, and there's no known cure for Ebola. There are people who have recovered from it, but there's no known cure for it. It's a terrible disease, but it pales in comparison to the disease of sin that each and every one of us is affected by. And just like Ebola, there is no cure for the disease of sin. There is no cure for the disease of sin outside of the blood of Jesus. Outside of putting our faith in Jesus, like what Peter said here in in chapter 2, verse 24. I just want to read that again. He himself, being Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. We have been healed. So we need to be saved from the disease of sin, but we also need to be saved from the condemnation of sin. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also, or excuse me, uh, that's right. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Not only does sin kill us on the inside, not only does it kill us for eternity, but sin also destroys the relationship that we have with God, the chance that we can live in fellowship with him. See, when we sin, when we were born, everything that we do really is a, an act of rebellion against God. And the only way for us to restore that relationship with him is through the blood of God of Jesus Christ. 
It's through putting our faith in him. Because Christ carries the curse for us. I love the way Paul puts it in Galatians chapter 3. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus died for us that we might live. Jesus died so that he could get rid of the disease of sin that affects us. He died so that way we could have a relationship with God once more. But not only does salvation, the fact that Jesus died on our behalf, not only does it save us from something, but it also saves us toward something. In other words, it's not just getting us back to zero, but it actually gives us something more than that. And that's what Peter is really referring to uh, in verses 3 through 9. I just want to read these verses to you one more time. Uh, If you weren't here with us last week, this is verses 3 through 9 from the book of 1 Peter. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, though it is tested by the fire, may be seen, or may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In these verses, Peter tells us not only what we have been saved from, but what happens when we are given the gift of salvation. He tells us at least four things. The first thing is we are given new life. If you notice in this passage when he talks about being born again, he really just means that we are given another chance. God has brought us to life because we were once dead. And we are now a part of God's kingdom. When it talks about being born again, it just means being born as a part of God's new creation. Second thing that happens that we are saved towards is that not only are we given new life, but this new life is eternal life. This new life is eternal life. The life that God gives us, the gift that God gives us is not just something that lasts for now. But it's something that will last until eternity. God gives us new life that lasts forever and is eternal life. This leads us to praise God and worship God forever. Third thing is this, that God gives us an inheritance. That's what he's referring to in verse 4 when he talks about our inheritance being imperishable, undefiled. See, not only does God give us new life, but he gives us an inheritance. It's not an inheritance that will fade away like the earthly inheritances that we receive from our parents. We inherit the kingdom of God. We get to become a part of God's kingdom through the salvation that he gives us. And the fourth thing that Peter tells us here, we are saved towards, uh, is really assurance. God gives us assurance that he's going to carry this to completion. Notice what he says in verse 5. In verse 5, Peter mentions that God's power watches over us. 
God not only gives us a beautiful gift and salvation and saving us from our sins and restoring the relationship between us and God, but he is so good to us that he is going to make sure that we will endure to the end, that he is going to protect us until the end so that way we can one day acquire the possession, the inheritance that he will give us as, in, as citizens of his heavenly kingdom. God gives us so much in the gospel. And this is why the gospel is good news. This is why the gospel, this salvation that we're talking about is good news. Because it saves us from death and from the disease of sin. And it saves us from the condemnation of sin. But not only that, but it gives us new life forever. It gives us an inheritance and God protects us. To help us endure until the end. To reach the salvation of our souls. So that's what Peter is referring to when he talks about this salvation in verse 10. When he makes mention of this salvation, he's referring to everything we just mentioned. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and reread verses 10 through 12 here. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. When he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. I mentioned that the first little section of of our time this morning was going to be focusing on explaining what this salvation is. But in these verses here, in verses 10 through 12, Peter is just trying to explode our understanding of the good news of the gift of salvation that he has given us. Last week, we talked about expanding our view of God and realizing that we worship a very big God as Christians. And this morning, Peter is doing something similar, where he's talking about the gift of salvation and saying, we're going to make this a very big picture of salvation. We're going to try to see how worthy God is to be worshipped because of the beautiful gift of the gospel that he gives us. And Peter tells us four things in these three verses about why this gift is so precious and so invaluable. So we're going to go through each of those things. The first one is this. The gospel is the fullness of God's plan. The gospel is the fullness of God's plan. Notice here in this passage that Peter talks about the Old Testament prophets. He says that these prophets, they prophesy, they, they, they predicted that Jesus was coming. They predicted that, that God was going to do something big to bring salvation to humanity. But they didn't have the fullness. They didn't understand fully the plan of how God was going to bring us salvation. They knew that a Messiah was coming, but they didn't know the specifics. They didn't know who it was going to be. They didn't know how God was going to bring this about. They didn't know how God was going to accomplish these things. But today, because we live after Jesus came, we live in what is considered to be the last days. We now get to see something that they didn't get to see. In Jesus, we now see the fullness of God's plan. We get to see the entire story, the entire picture, as opposed to what they had once got to see. I love the way Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 1 where he says this. 
uh, he says, which he lavished upon us, referring to this grace. This grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight is making known to us the mystery of his will. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. You see, until Jesus came, we only had the faintest understanding of how God was going to bring salvation for humanity. We didn't fully understand how God was working to bring us salvation here as humans. We could see glimpses of it. The Old Testament is filled with glimpses of the salvation that God will bring us, but we don't get to see the entire picture. It's almost like the prophets in the Old Testament were looking through a, an ancient window, an ancient window that is dirty and cloudy, and they can just see the faintest glimpse of the fullness of God's plan and bringing us salvation through Jesus Christ. But now, not only do we see through a window, but we get to see Jesus face to face. The fullness of God's plan is revealed to us. I love the Old Testament because one of the things that we see in the Old Testament is despite the fact that these prophets and all of these different people in the Old Testament didn't fully understand God's plan, they longed to know it. They sought after God, wanting to know more of how God was going to bring them salvation. For example, the, the book of Psalms is filled with these people crying out to God, asking God to reveal to them the salvation that he wants to give to his people. Just listen to this from Psalm chapter 119. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. See, the Old Testament prophets longed for the revelation of God's plan. They longed to see how God was working here and now that we have seen in Jesus Christ. So you may be wondering, well, how does that show the gospel has an immense amount of worth? How does this show the value of the gospel? It shows us the value of the gospel because it tells us how blessed we are to be able to see the entire picture. How blessed we are that God has chosen for some reason to reveal to us the entire picture when he chose to not reveal it to people thousands of years ago who were far holier than we were, who sought after this good news. Reminds me of what Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke when he says, then turning to his disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear. God in his infinite wisdom has decided for some reason that we are going to be born after Jesus came. That we can hear this good news, the fullness of God's plan. And God in his infinite wisdom has decided for some reason that we are going to be able to hear this good news. It's a wonderful, beautiful privilege. But it's also a great responsibility. Because God calls us to respond to this gospel. Calls us to make a decision and move forward from this gospel. So the first thing that shows the worth of 
this gift from God is the gospel reveals to us the fullness of God's plan. The second one is this. The gospel was God's plan from the start. The gospel was God's plan from the start. Notice what Peter mentions here. He says that the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of Christ, was working in the Old Testament, telling people about what they were going to prophesy. He was predicting all of this stuff about Jesus coming up uh, centuries after they made these predictions. They didn't understand the, the specifics, but they were proclaiming this future because God was revealing it to him to them through their spirit. You see this right from the very beginning. Honestly, right from the very beginning of the Bible, right after Adam and Eve fall in the garden, you see the first glimpse of this gospel coming to the people found in Genesis chapter 3. I love this. It's called the, the, really the pre-gospel because it tells us the gospel before the gospel comes. This is from Genesis chapter 3, spoken to the serpent. It says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This passage is telling us from the very beginning of human history that Jesus is going to be victorious. That Jesus is one day going to bring us salvation because he is the seed of this woman, the offspring of this woman. And yeah, he's going to suffer. Remember what it says here. It says he's, uh, the, the serpent, the, the devil is going to bruise your heel. But it also says that, that Jesus is going to crush his head. That Jesus is going to be victorious over sin and death and bring us salvation. The Old Testament is filled with passages that tell us about what Jesus is going to do for us. Passages like Isaiah chapter 53, which was written seven centuries before Jesus walked the earth. It said this, But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Or passages like Zechariah chapter 12, where it says this, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps for a firstborn. The Old Testament, from the very beginning in Genesis all the way to the very end in Malachi, shouts at us that Jesus is coming. The fullness of God's plan is coming, that God is going to bring us salvation. Jesus is coming. It may not be specific about who specifically. It may not be specific about the time when Jesus is coming, when the Messiah is coming, but it tells us that God is going to come and God is going to bring salvation to his people. So again, we have to ask ourselves, how does this show us the worth of the gospel? Well, it shows us the worth of the gospel uh, by telling us that, that God has been focusing on this from the very beginning. I want to read a quote to you from from John Piper, who is a pastor, uh, in, former pastor in the Twin Cities. He, he puts it this way. Christ, the Son of God in heaven, has been contemplating his suffering and his death for us for centuries. Indeed, as far back 
as the plan of salvation reaches in the mind of God, so far back has Christ been willing to, and ready to give himself up for our sins. You were not loved for just a bloody moment of sacrifice in history, but you have been loved for an endless age in the eternal plan of God the Father and God the Son to save sinners who trust in them. This is good news. It shows us the value of the gospel because it tells us that God has been placing immense worth on us. He desires us to come into relationship with him once more. And he's desired that from the very beginning. This was God's plan from the beginning of time. And the third thing that shows us the value of the gospel from this passage is this. That the gospel is given to us by God himself. The gospel is brought to us by God through the Holy Spirit. You see, people will tell us the gospel. People tell us the good news of the gospel. But it is the Holy Spirit is the one who is at work in the hearts of the people who are listening to this gospel being proclaimed. See, that's one of the beautiful things about Jesus being at work in our hearts. So God is present with us this morning. God is at work in the hearts of us this morning. If we're not Christians, uh, if you're not a Christian this morning, then God is calling you to respond in repentance and in faith. And if you are a Christian, then the Spirit is, is calling you to respond in worship and adoration for the good news of the gospel that he has bestowed upon us. You see, the Holy Spirit is the one who tells us the gospel. And this shows how much value God places on this gospel because he himself is the one who's going to bring it to us. It's almost as if he's saying that it's too valuable for him to not be in the equation. It's not just me up here who is telling us the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit who is the one working in hearts and wakening people from the dead to hear this good news and to hear this gospel. See, it is a rare privilege for us to get the chance to share the gospel with other people. But ultimately, it is the God of the Bible, the God of the universe, who is the one who proclaims this gospel and who calls for a response. This shows us the value of the gospel, but it also shows us the value of humanity in God's eyes. That we were so precious to him that he is going to bring the gospel to us himself. Friends, that's really good news. That God is the one who is bringing us the gospel. And the fourth thing that this passage tells us is this. That the gospel is a sign of God's love for humanity. The gospel is a sign of God's love for humanity. This is what Peter is talking about when he mentions the, the kind of weird phrase, uh, things in which angels long to look at, in verse 12. In the times where I have conversations with young children about the gospel and they, we talk about Jesus and, and that kind of thing, uh, one of the things that frequently comes up, and you might have had the same conversation with people, is, is why doesn't the, the devil, why doesn't he just place his trust in Jesus? Why doesn't he become a Christian? After all, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? The, the devil has read the entire Bible. The demons have read the entire Bible. They know how it's going to end. They're fully aware that God isn't lying in Revelation where he says that he's going to win. So why don't they just throw up the white flag and say, you know what? I'm going to submit to God. I'm going to place my faith in Jesus to be saved from the, the bad things that I've done. Kind of makes sense. But the truth the, the reason why is really one of the most humbling 
truths that we find about the gospel. And that's this. Redemption was never made to be an option for fallen angels. Fallen angels never received the option of redemption. They never owed redemption. God never made a way for them to be restored into his presence. And he didn't have to for us either. God didn't have to restore the relationship between us and him. He would have been completely righteous if he chose not to. I love the way that R.C. Sproul, who's a, a theologian, puts it. He says, God is never obligated to be merciful to rebellious creatures. God does not owe us mercy. There is no plan of redemption for fallen angels. There, doesn't, there shouldn't have to be a plan of redemption for us. But yet, God, in his glorious grace, for some unknown reason, except for the fact that he is loving and compassionate and wonderful offers us redemption, offers us salvation when salvation is not offered to any other creature under the sun. Friends, that is good news. It tells us the value and the worth of the gospel that even when other created beings who have screwed up, who have sinned, are not given redemption, we are because God loves us. But even though angels aren't given redemption, even though they aren't offered salvation, they love talking about it. They love getting to see it in work and in action. They love seeing God uh, changing the hearts of humans to worship him again. Jesus tells us in the Gospels that whenever someone is brought to life by the Spirit of God, there's a giant party in heaven where everyone is praising God and worshiping him because of the things that they, uh, because of the things that God has done, bringing someone to life. Angels love redemption. And so my question is, especially for the Christians here this morning, if angels love redemption, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we also marvel at the glorious gift of the gospel that God gives us? Shouldn't we also stand amazed that God chooses to save us even though we are unworthy of being saved? Shouldn't we rejoice when God chooses to give people a cure to the incurable disease of sin? Shouldn't we stand amazed that God has chosen to restore the relationship between us and him? Friends, this is the good news of the gospel. It's the most precious, glorious, beautiful gift that God has ever given us. And we should praise him because of it. We should worship him because of the good news of this gift. You may be asking, well, where do we go from here? We've talked about the value of the gospel, but what do we actually do with that? If you're not a Christian, the, the call of the gospel, the response that God demands is to respond in faith, to place your trust in Jesus. It doesn't matter whether you think that you need saving or not. It doesn't change the reality that God wants to save each and every one of us from the condemnation of sin, from the death that sin causes. God wants us to choose to follow him. And if you are a Christian, God demands a response from you too. 
God demands that we respond in worship. That we praise God for this glorious gift of grace, the most valuable gift in the entire universe. That we worship with our lips, that we would worship with our lives in holistic living. That we would respond to the good news of the gospel. See, this gospel demands a response. Even if we choose to ignore it and and put it to the side, then what we're doing really is we're responding in a certain way. And this morning, we're going to have a chance to respond to this gospel. We're going to have a chance to respond in worship here in a few seconds as as Steve and Crystal lead us in a song. And I love this song that we're going to be singing. It's a new one for us. Uh, But we have the chance to respond in worship. But if you're not a Christian this morning and you feel God calling you to respond in faith, then we're going to have a chance for you to respond in faith after the service as well. So uh, God calls us to respond to the glorious gift that he gives us, the most valuable gift in the universe. Let's respond in worship right now. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the gift of salvation that you offer us on the cross. God, thank you that you have made a way for us to leave the sins of our lives behind and to follow and to seek after you. And Jesus, right now we pray that you would be at work in our hearts, in our eyes, in our minds, God, that we would worship you in all that we do. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.